0: Good morning, everyone. How's everyone doing today? Man, It's good to see you out here on third service. Uh, Of course, time changed for us a little bit last night. Anybody? I'm sure some of us are feeling the effects of that a little bit. But uh, I know that you just sat down. And uh, we do our best to not abuse the privilege to ask you to stand up and to be, you know, considerate of the fact that you just stood up for probably 20 minutes. But uh, I need to exhort you into something this morning. Just feel strongly unctured in that. uh, It's the same strength behind it, meaning internally as it was first and second. So I'm going to be obedient in this one too. Just going with my heart. So I'm going to invite you to stand up and and, uh, just uh, kind of exhort you along a couple things in regards to um, uh, what's going on in the world today. Now this is not the teaching of today, but what's going on in the world today. What is probably one of the greatest things in the news right now, every time you turn it on. That tells you how much it's affected us, because everybody said it. And I need to exhort you along that line, because as a believer, as a Christian, what qualifies, I hate to say qualified, what what welcomes a person into a life of salvation, of Christianity, is when you've made Jesus the Lord of your life. You came at some point, at some place in your life, and... And, and your sin, by the convincing power of the Holy Spirit, was, was maybe brought to your attention. And you noticed that you may, maybe needed a Savior in your life that, that just came to that place in your life. And Jesus stepped in. Well, there's a lot that happened at that moment. Uh, a regeneration took place into you as a person, as a spirit. We'll talk about that here in a minute. But what I'm saying is that as a Christian, someone that's walking a Christian life, coronavirus should not take us by surprise according to Matthew and I'm correcting myself because I know very specifically I said in first and second service the wrong reference to this I said Luke 24 my reason is because Luke 24 was when Jesus talked about the coming of the power of the Holy Ghost and so that's our series teaching but it's in Matthew 24 if you go look at Matthew 24 verses 1 through 8 you will see that why I say we shouldn't be surprised, because the day that we live in right now is defined according to Scripture, the dispensation that we're coming to an end of is the end times before the return of Christ. And when you see that day approaching, Matthew chapter 24, verse eight, 1 through 8 says that there will be rumors of wars, nation will rise against nation, the word nation means people groups will rise against people groups, and there will be famine and pestilence that will show up in the land. And hence coronavirus now the things I share with you don't take as if I'm come against the anybody involved or or the medical field whatsoever thank God that they're they're moving in a direction to create something naturally outwardly to to come against that but I want you to understand something 2,000 years ago there was something that came against that very strongly and that would be the death burial and resurrection of Christ And what I mean by that is that the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, sickness was defeated at that moment. In your redemption, right as a believer, in the covenant that we live in, the new covenant, the covenant of grace which is God's ability, God's power, His strength that is freely given to you. You can't work to gain salvation. You accept salvation, and salvation steps in through the power and the move of the Spirit of God, regenerating your spirit, making you alive unto God. And at that point, now you are in the nature, in the newborn, again, redemptive, righteous son and daughter of God. And at that moment, at that time, you stepped out of world system and came into the God system of kingdom. And you actually, at that point, accepted what you've been redeemed from, which is defined as the curse of the law. 1 Peter 2.24 says this, By the stripes of Jesus Christ, you are not going to be, not one day. You are the healed. Galatians 3.13 says, I've been redeemed from the curse of the law. Now, listen, there's a good chance that most of us in here are not familiar with what the curse of the law is, where it came from, what it's about, and its definition according to Scripture. Let me just say that it, you didn't cause it. You didn't cause it to happen. It's not your fault. It was the fault of two people, Adam and Eve. Genesis 1, 2, 3, those chapters you can read and go find. That, that first, before the when this whole thing was created in the original, it was created. The scripture says, well, mighty well, mighty good. There was no sickness, there was no disease, there was no lack, there was no poverty. This earth was created for man and man was created in the likeness and the image of God with no sickness in his life. But then don't think we're better, don't think we're any gooder than this than, than this, because we still make mistakes. We prove it every day that we're not perfect. But Adam and Eve made a mistake that brought us all into sin. Sin is just incipient death in its form. And they, because of that, they brought in the curse of the law. And that's where the Ten Commandments came in. That's where the children of Israel were told that if you abide by the Ten Commandments, you will have a blessed life. But if you miss one commandment, you will be cursed. And what's so important about that, (coughs) there ain't one of you in here that would ever be able to fulfill all of the Ten Commandments. Not one of you. That's why Jesus came. And the covenant that you live in was defeated. You live under one law, it's the law of love, and if you live out of love, you will fulfill all of those commandments. But thank God, because of Jesus, I can repent and have forgiveness of sins and acknowledge that I'm not perfect, and I may make a mistake, but it doesn't change who I am, it doesn't change my relationship. I'm acknowledging that I am the righteousness of God. But when I say Galatians 3.13, the Bible says that you who I just defined and who I just described is redeemed from that curse but you may not even know what that curse is and I'm going to help you. This will be on the podcast so that you can go references again because the reason I'm sharing this is because I want to break something off of us so that we don't accept it and it doesn't become who we are and who we identify with just because I'm listening to the news and the news has a way of creating what's called fear and the motivation of that comes from the enemy and if he gets you into fear you can be like Job and your worst fear can come upon you. I'm making sure that doesn't happen. And the curse is simply defined in Deuteronomy chapter 28 and Leviticus 26. It would be beneficial to go home and be a student of the Scriptures for just a little bit and look at all of the words in Deuteronomy 28 verses 1 through 16. You find all of the blessings that would come on them if they obeyed the uh, Ten Commandments. But then you also see right after that, all the way down to verse 61, you'll find that if they don't, all of these things would come upon them. And Leviticus 26 has very similar words. Go look at the definitions. Go look at the words. I've looked up one for you that I've established in my heart, in my spirit for years now, so you don't really have to. But I'm not going to say that. You need to go look at it. Don't trust me. But let me just tell you what it says. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 22, you look at the definition of all the words. The Bible says that that part of the curse of the law is nasal congestion, fever, sore throat, upset stomach, anything concerning the common cold or the flu is part of a curse of the law. Now, I've just had the, the uh, I don't want to say privilege, the challenge over the past few weeks to deal with, uh, to try to accept, uh, what do they call that thing, bronchitis, and it's done its best to try to cause me to accept that, but I never did, never let it come out of my mouth. It's defeated. I'm not accepting it into my life, and I'm healed. It's part of the curse. I'm redeemed from it. And just in case you feel like you're special and you can't find that what you feel like you have, that's your first problem is you say you have it and you've assumed it and you're making it yours. I'm bold about this because sickness will kill you. We've lost loved ones because of it. We have loved ones that have gone home way too early because we've put up with it and we've allowed it to continue. And I'm just willing to not do that anymore because I lost some very close people to me because of this very thing I'm talking about. And so here's my point. If there's something in your life that you think you're, it's, it's just a, a special, it's not, you can't find it in any of the, the, the verses up to verse 59. Guess what? Verse 61 will clarify that for you. Because it goes on to say, anything not mentioned in the verses above, if there's no obedience, these curses will come upon you. But according to Galatians 3.13, I'm redeemed from the curse of the law. doesn't belong to me. I want to make it very clear that as a believer and as a Christian, we have a responsibility to know the Word of God. And the Bible is very clear that it says that people are destroyed, they're silenced, they're made dumb because of a lack of knowledge. You can't say that anymore. You have knowledge. Of how to walk in your righteousness and right standing with God. Now religion has tried to tell us that it is out of works. It is out of duty. It is out of what I got to do all this out here. No, it's out of what's already done inside of you. As a regenerated, born again believer that Jesus did for you. You ain't working for this anymore. It's a done deal. Every head bow, every eye close. In the name of Jesus we take authority over sickness and disease and poverty and lack. We bind the spirit of sickness of coronavirus from come against anyone in the house of Coastal Family Church. You're not allowed. We're redeemed. And we say that in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Is that okay this morning? All right. Thank you. You can sit down. <clears throat> We're in the middle. We're actually not in the middle. We're actually a little bit further beyond the middle of this series on the Holy Spirit. And and I'm telling you, it's been one of the most enjoyable series, I think, that we've ever been able to teach because it's actually forced us to kind of ask some of the questions to get some real clarity on some understanding of who the Holy Spirit is in our life. Pastor Tiffany's done a phenomenal job at, uh, at, at teaching us how the Holy Spirit comes alongside us. But I just want to help you understand... Uh, There's no way I can review all the way back to service one. You can go on the podcast and you can listen to those yourself. And it will help you get you up to speed. But one thing we did establish that the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, does live on the inside of us. And why is that important? Because we said that He will be the one that will come alongside and help us accomplish the assignment or the endowment that we think or that we're saying has come upon us here in 2020. And that is that this is the year that there is more for you and I as a believer. In other words, we're able to break that addiction that we've not been able to break. We're able to love that person that we're struggling to love. We're able to uh, perform on the job better than we ever have with more knowledge, more wisdom, more revelation, more understanding. That's the direction that we feel called to go as a corporate body, as a church. And the Holy Spirit comes alongside to help us accomplish that. He comes alongside the comfort to stand by, to strengthen you along that course. Now here's something I just want to kind of help you understand what it means for this come alongside and where the Holy Spirit is. Uh, if you study the scriptures in the Old Testament, you'll understand that there was a tabernacle. And the tabernacle is actually, there was three courts to this tabernacle. If you picture a box on a screen, three different rooms, there was the outer court, the inner court, and the Holy of Holies. And the Holy of Holies is defined as, shows us that that's where the presence of God dwells. That's where the Ark of the Covenant was, was in this place called the Holy of Holies. And I love the fact that God likes to do things in threes. I know His perfect number is seven, but how about number three? Huh? God the Father, come on, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, right? Huh? Then there's the tabernacle, three separate rooms. And only the priest could enter in through the outer court, the inner court, to get to the Holy of Holies in the covenant of old. And we're in this new covenant, the covenant of grace. But the Bible says that you are a king and priest in this life. And so when you look at who you are, which we opened this series up and reminded ourselves at the beginning of the year that you are a spirit, soul, and body. You are not body, soul, spirit. You are spirit, soul, body in that order, in that first place of, of order. And so when you think about that and you pictured this box of the, of the tabernacle, you don't have to go into all that. We'll, we're not teaching on that today. I just want you to see and understand where the personhood of the Holy Spirit is and why that's so important and how it will uh, uh, be important to what we learn today. So you, <clears throat> there is spirit, soul, and body. So the outer court would be your body. So why don't you just kind of poke somebody, let them know they got one. It's what you feel every day. Then there's the inner court. Picture the box. Outer court, the inner court. The inner court is your soul, your soulless realm. It's the mind, the will, and the emotions. It's where the voice of your conscience is talking to you constantly. It's where the Scripture says you've got to be renewed and transformed to think and act like who you are of the Holy of Holies. And the Bible is very clear that your spirit, man, is now the Holy of Holies. As a regenerated Spirit of God, born again, alive unto God... You got the outer court, which is your body. You got the inner court, which is your soul and your will and your mind and emotions. And then you got you, which is the Holy of Holies, your spirit. And the Bible says that your spirit lives inside the body. Now, He's holy. He's not living in the body, per se. He's not living in the soul, per se, because he's God. And where did God dwell in the covenant of the tabernacle? In the Holy of Holies. So the Holy Spirit is now living inside of you. Why is that important? Because if I want to get a hold of the fact that he's alongside of me and helping me, and now I have this expectation of uh, we just encourage ourselves in in the realm of that we've been redeemed from sickness and disease... I want to read Romans chapter 5, verse 5 of our text to you real quick. Now that we're in this alert expectancy such as this, we're never left feeling shortchanged. Quite the contrary. We can't round up enough containers to hold everything God generously pours into our lives through the Holy Spirit. And if you go to John chapter 16, verse 7, why is he so important? I'm, I'm convinced and know that really it's because it's one of the last main subject matters or things that Jesus talked about before he went from this life to the death, burial, and resurrection and went on to be with the Father. In John chapter 16, verse 7, he says this, However, I'm telling you nothing but the truth when I say it is profitable, good, expedient, advantageous for you that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the comforter, counselor, helper, advocate, strengthener, intercessor, standby, will not come to you in the close fellowship with you. Say "close close fellowship. But if I go away, I will send him to you to be in close fellowship with you. Now, as we learned a couple weeks ago, as we found out that when the Scripture says that some of the responsibility or role of the Holy Spirit is to come alongside and convict the world of sin, we found out that the word convict means convince. So no matter what side of the fence you are on, if you're in this place, you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, the Holy Spirit is still there trying to convince you your need of uh, because of sin and your need of a Savior. But once you've accepted that, you come to the other side of the fence and you don't want to be going back and forth. But now I'm walking on this side of the fence as a believer. Now the Holy Spirit's role is now living inside of me to convince me of the fact that I need him as A helper. And the reason I brought all of that back up is because I want you to see something that is so powerful. When I recognize where he is and he's inside of me. Are there things in my life that actually could possibly grieve him? Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 through 14. The Passion Translation. In whom you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation... In whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Who is our guarantee of our inheritance in the redemption of the purchased possession. To the praise of his glory. Now if you remember two primary goals or things that Pastor Tiffany shared with us last week. That came through the sealing of the Holy Spirit into our life. One is authenticity of who you are. But also, number two, was ownership. In other words, verse 23 of 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says, And you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God, so guess what that means? You belong to God, you're not your own anymore. So the first question I want to ask, have we forgotten that truth? That I'm not my own person anymore. As a believer, I don't belong to myself anymore. In other words, living life has a little bit more responsibility behind it because there might be a realm of obedience to it, but also every thought, every action, everything I say, everything I hear, everything I see is influenced on somebody that else is walking with me and that just might be the Holy Spirit. So The question again is, how, who do I belong to? Well, we belong to God. <clears> 1 <throat> Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. The Passion Translation. Have you forgotten that your body is now the sacred temple of the Spirit of holiness who lives in you? Hold on with me. Religion has taken that word holiness, and we've worked on the outward more than we've been influenced by the inward. And we're trying to get men to live holy by an outward change. When if we help them understand the inward change and who's working on the inward change, it won't be a whole lot of work out here. That's why man gets frustrated. That's why religion gets frustrated. We're trying to do it by uh, 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 works, per se. But listen to what else it says You don't belong to yourself any longer. For the gift of God, the Holy Spirit lives inside your sanctuary. You are God's expensive purchase, paid for with tears of blood. So by all means, then use your body to bring glory to God. <clears throat> so a second question I want to ask you, this question is, with all of that in mind, as I mentioned it to you earlier, no one have I, for- have I forgotten that I don't belong to me, or belong to myself, I belong to God And now we have this real, maybe more of a truth of understanding who the Holy Spirit is and where He lives. And He goes with me everywhere I go. I'm asking you a question that I want you to think about. Can I grieve Him? Can I grieve that personhood of God on the inside of me? Absolutely, you can. But not by what you think. Not by maybe all of the outward things that we've been taught that actually grieves Him. But I think you'll find out that it's a little bit more internal how we grieve Him when you begin to get an understanding of who he is. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 30 says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. And I'm pretty convinced that there's not one of us in this room that would ever want to to grieve or upset or, I don't want to use the word, mad or disappoint God. Nobody in here would want that. It's not who you are. But I want to take some time here and draw our attention to this word grieve and help us to get a better understanding of how important this is. Can I grieve the Spirit of God that's ultimately living in me now? When you look at the word grieve, it comes from the Greek word <clears throat> "lepēo," And it really describes the word pain. Everybody say pain. pain. Nobody likes pain. It describes someone wounded by someone else. Ultimately, what Paul's trying to depict here is really uh, the emotions of a betrayed husband or a betrayed wife or a betrayed spou- or, de- or <coughs> excuse me, a betrayed spouse. Here's what he's saying: is this, this is someone, when you grieve the Holy Spirit, the emotion now listen, the, the Holy Spirit has emotion. He's it, the spirit of what? It, what's the fruit of the spirit? Love, joy, peace, meekness, temperance, long-suffering, the base of those words are in emotion. And so that's the Holy Spirit comes to work these things into your life, and now that's what's in me. So he can actually be grieved when those things are, maybe we choose a road of opposite of that. He can be deceived, he can be hurt. Here's Here's a better way to express that, maybe to help you understand Pastor Tiffany and I, we've been married for quite a few years now. I don't brag about it. It's been a lot of work to be married for 28 years. It's not been all roses. It's, we work at this. And guess what? I disappoint her, she disappoints me. And guess what? I hurt her, and she hurts me. And out of this intimacy and out of this relationship, I'm just telling you, I love her more than anybody. My kids... And you got, you're getting up there when you start talking about my kids and now my grandkids. I, I, but I love her more than that. She comes before all of that except for God in my life. And there's times that that out of that intimate relationship and then that fellowship that's got all of this hard work behind it, that there are times I can't speak for her, but I can speak for me, that when even when I've been up in the pulpit, I have used words or explanations or descriptions that out of my manliness and out of my thinking I was saying a compliment to her that I actually hurt her. And sometimes out of her patience she's chosen to wait a couple weeks to even tell me that I hurt her because probably if she hits me with it right up front I'm going to be defensive, I'm going to be no, that's not what I meant. But she, we just have worked at this. We have a communication, we have a fellowship, we have an intimacy, we have a place in each other's life and we realize, and I, well, let me just tell you something, when I hurt her, and I'm not telling you just to move your emotion. I'm just telling you what I experienced. When I hurt her, it, my whole world gets all messed up. Seriously, I can't pray. I, I kind of get confused a little bit until I got that figured out, until we go talking. And I hate talking about stuff like that. <laughs> it's work. But there's something in me deeper that drives me that want that more than not ever confronting it or talking about it. It's the intimate fellowship. And that's what Paul's trying to tell us, that when we welcome worldliness into our life, that it breaks that fellowship, that it brings that hurt, it brings that feeling of emotion to him to where he's disappointed. But the wonderful thing about the Holy Spirit, he never comes with a forceful hand and bawling and squalling like we do outwardly. No, he's going to internally try to convince you that, hey, 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 maybe, maybe there might have been a better choice of decision here. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, this might help you understand what I'm saying a little better. It says, and do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he's identified you as his own. Remember we said, you don't belong to yourself. Guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. And so what the Paul is saying, look, when we are kind of stepping away, stiff-arming the Holy Spirit and walking away from Him being priority in our life because of our actions and our attitudes, maybe by the things we say, maybe by the things we see, maybe by the things we hear, and we choose to allow that into our life and way we live, especially towards other people, that it grieves Him. So here's the third question. It'll be the last question I want to ask you of today because this will be the million dollar answer. You know, have we forgotten? And then can we? But wouldn't you like to know what grieves him? So, because I believe that once we know what grieves him, it'll give us a better way of not doing it and maybe walking out this righteousness of serving God in a way that, hey, you know what? I'm growing in this. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 through 31. We're going to walk through these scriptures. You'll see them all up here, but I'm going to kind of uh, just really kind of do partial scripture here for time's sake. But I want you to understand that when you hear these things, there's a pattern that you just might see, and I'll point it out to you at the end. But there's a pattern that Paul is trying to express to this group of believers. And, and that's, you know, really to be honest with you, that's the unfortunate thing about what we're getting ready to read, is that Paul was talking, the matter of fact, the whole book of Ephesians is towards believers. And what's happening, what's working, and imitating the Father and transformation and a lot of things taking place. But he really begins to tell us, okay, what grieves the Holy Spirit? Verse 25, you ready? He says, stop telling lies. Well, what's that mean? Stop telling lies. Tell the truth. And he explains it a little bit better. He says, let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. Because when I lie, I'm not telling the truth, what am I doing? I'm not just hurting that person, I'm grieving the Holy Spirit inside of me. I'm hurting him. Uh-huh. He says, and don't sin by letting anger control you. He says, don't let the anger control you. Don't let the sun go down on while you're still angry. And it goes on after that, I believe it says, that don't give the devil that kind of foothold. Don't be that person that's angry. Allow yourself to become that person that... And again, he's just coming... Look, this is just what grieves him, and I'm not saying we're not ever going to get mad. I'm not saying we're not ever going to get angry. I'm letting you know that we will, but... Maybe when I know that this grieves somebody bigger, maybe uh, more powerful, uh, uh, more important in me, then I just might be someone that chooses not to be so angry all the time. Verse 28. (laughs) If you're a thief, quit stealing. Instead, for the lazy person... Instead, use your hands for good, hard work. So he says, what? Quit stealing. Don't steal. But work hard. Be someone that likes to work. Because when you don't work hard and you're lazy, you're grieving the Holy Spirit. When you're stealing, you're grieving the Holy Spirit. Now, hold on. We're not done with that piece. Here we go. And give generously to others in need. Some of us probably need to do a big purging at home, maybe. But he's telling me that, look, when I'm stingy, There may be an envious part of my life. I'm envious with what others have, but I'm stingy with what I have. Maybe uh, Pastor Tiffany mentioned a couple times about tithe and offering, and I don't want to harp on that side of it, but there are some truths to obedience when I'm hoarding and holding and I'm stingy with what I have. This is not about us as much as it is, even to the other person as much as it is. Are we aware that when I'm doing that, there's somebody else that's walking through that with me? He's the Holy Spirit. Verse 29, don't use foul or abusive language. Now, listen, I was raised by, well, I don't want to say raised, but if there's one thing that my dad, my biological dad, instilled into me, he was a stereotype fisherman. He, he, that was the life that he lived. That was the, I mean, he basically is a, an icon in the, in, in the world of fishery. But there's one thing that he always says, boy... Don't be that person that has that foul language. I bet you I can count on one hand how many times, and others might have heard more than me, but he would never do it because he just said, it it doesn't make you more of a man. That's what he told me. So I don't want to get onto that side. I'm not telling people how to say and how to talk and what to say. I'm just saying be conscious of when you say and when you see and when you think and when you're hearing. Who else is hearing that with you? Who else is saying that with you? Now listen, don't take your conviction and push it off on somebody else. There's, listen, I, there, I'm around people when it comes to foul language and that thing, that man, it's every other word, but they don't know any better. They don't even realize that it's going on. I'm talking about you take, take your own conviction, keep it to your own heart, and just maybe by our own convictions we can be an example that would convince someone, hey, maybe this might not be a good thing. He goes on to say, Abusive language, abusive towards someone else. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that the words will be encouragement to those that hear them. And in the very next verse, he says, this is grievous. Verse 31. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. And what's wrapped up in some of these words is, is the offense of when I come to that place and maybe someone's done something that I wish I could have done and, and because of that I'm, I'm defensive or I'm offended because I didn't get to do that. And all of a sudden the root of bitterness starts to work in you because you wish you could have or you wish you were there and now all of a sudden it's not the person's got a problem, we've got a problem and now all of a sudden the bitterness is getting in and it sets in and the Bible says that that slander, that indignation of anger that begins to work up on the inside of you actually really defined becomes a rottenness inside of our life Like like a rotten potato or a rotten egg in your life. That's beginning to Seat down in you and the Bible says here that that grieves the Holy Spirit gossip I, I cannot begin to talk about how much that is so grievous to him but I don't have it in my notes so I want to look up here and I want to chase did you have verse 4 to 32 I didn't share this first or second service I want to bring this back up I want you to see it can you get it there for me there it is Remember, we're talking about what grieves the Holy Spirit. But what would make him happy? What would make him, with the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, meekness, what would make him instead, being grievous, instead be kind to who? To each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Now, here's what's interesting. If you look at the context of this and you see the pattern through all of this, ultimately what Paul is saying is how you treat one another is particularly really important to the Holy Spirit. Every verse that we read led us to that place to where we see that when I'm treating other people in that place of of any of those areas that we just mentioned, I'm not just doing it to them, I'm doing it to him that's in them, I'm also taking him that's with me through that as well. Why is that so powerful? Because when you look at Romans chapter 1 verse 4, you'll find out that he's called the Spirit of Holiness. Not religion, holiness. He's Holy Spirit. He's Holy God. And this holiness lives in you. And he's saying, look, let's work together at this. Let me come alongside you and help you discover how important this is in the life and not giving a foothold to the enemy in your life. Now here's what I want you to think about. And we'll get ready to close here real soon. I'm pretty convinced that nobody in this house or nobody in this room, now your house might look like this. I can't tell you what your house looks like. But I would venture to say that none of you go to your house and cross the threshold and take a bucket of trash and as soon as you walk in, you dump it in the house. And I'm actually probably pretty convinced that When you come into the sanctuary of God, the church building, nobody comes in to throw trash on the ground. Now, some of you put your gum under the seat, and some of you do stuff like that. Some of you chew your fingernails and throw your fingernails on the ground. You'd be surprised. But as a whole, collectively, that's not who we are. And I would venture to say that there's been times when you've come into this house or any church for that matter. There's been an an atmosphere that you've sensed or felt in that building. But I want you to tell you something. I want to tell you something, guys. The Holy Spirit doesn't live in buildings. He lives in the temple. He lives in the Holy of Holies. When you come in, He comes in. I'm not saying we don't create an atmosphere. I'm not saying that uh, it's not about crystal chandeliers. It's not about n- nice paint, and, and, and it's not about nice seats and nice carpet. We're, we're going to do that because we just respect the house that we're coming to. But Ken, I, I want to I take you to a bigger place than that. And that is the thought that he doesn't live in this building, he lives in me. So listen to me. Anytime I allow the worldliness, the way that I live, and I'm not willing to ask that question out there, and I stiff arm the Holy Ghost and do my own thing. You're not your own. I do my own thing. I'm actually carrying Him through the mud and the dirt and the trash that's on the ground. I'm walking Him through that with me. What you see, what you hear, what you say is so vital to the walk that we have as a believer. And when, it, you know, I am never going to be the pastor that tells you what movies to watch, what music to hear, what music to listen to. That's your ball game, man. I'm not going to tell you how to act in your home. I'm going to give you instruction from the Scriptures, and you make your own choices. Keep your convictions to yourself. Allow your conviction maybe to help somebody else to better their life maybe towards some things. I can remember years ago, we were with a group of staff uh, pastor, pastors, believe it or not, and we, we were watching, went to this movie, and, and I just started getting that icky feeling on the inside. And it was a lot of pressure there because I didn't want to be the guy that, um, that these guys were in position a higher position of pastoral than i was so if i'm getting up i'm going hey what's going on here it's just not a good you just don't want to be disrespectful or dishonoring but i'm also not going to be disrespectful and dishonoring to the one inside me either and and i dragged my feet for a good 20 minutes into that movie and and pastor tiffany she looked at me and thank god she just said we're going She got up, I walked, and I followed her, and and it's my conviction, maybe not theirs. Theirs wasn't the conviction. They didn't come out. We walked out. I've got to be willing to acknowledge I'm not going to be a stiff-armed guy. I'm going to acknowledge who's in me out of respect, out of honor. But here's how. Do I remember... Do as I, as I remember, do I realize, am I willing to ask myself the questions of grief? In other words, asking him, Holy Spirit, what do you think about this? When I'm sitting there watching, Holy Spirit. When I'm sitting there listening, Holy Spirit. When I'm sitting there communicating in that fake world, because... I don't actually ask to really talk to the person or the people. And I create something that's not there. Holy Spirit, you're taking him with you. He's walking through that with you. He's going through the garbage. He's going through the mud. But all along, he's coming alongside to help convince you, hey, man, it might not be the best thing to do. It might be better to gain some truth. It might be better to be honoring to him and respect who he is in my life. Just don't be grievous. I know you don't want to be. But you got to ask him to not be. See you next week.